Father, this evening we just come to you. The fourth day of the fourth month. The first Wednesday. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. When as we are here, we pray, Father, that you speak to us. You teach us. Let our hearts and our minds be always be open to the entrance of your word. For your word is life. It brings strength. Your word is light. It dispels darkness. Your word is healing. It destroys infirmities. Your word brings deliverance. It casts out demons. So this evening, once again, we lift your word above everything else, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first text I want for tonight is from James chapter 5 and verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. So keep that as the the background of your minds as you listen to the word. So many children, most of the people today are young ones. It's, 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 it's incredible to see young ones in the house of God. But you need to realize children are born to us, but the children of God are not born. They are born again. Even though children of God are born again, servants of God are made. Once you're born again, technically you're supposed to serve God, but it doesn't make you a servant of God. Servant of God's, servants of God are made. Everyone, at one way or other, believers claim or want to serve God or say they are serving God. Well, the question is, are we? Everyone, almost everyone, I do not know, only you know and God knows. Everyone sitting in a church, every true believer is a child of destiny, called of God. But the other side of truth, when you study scripture, is that everyone will not fulfill their destiny, will not fulfill God's purpose, simply because of what we choose to hear and what we choose to believe and what we choose to do. That's why we are called to persevere. And one of the reasons we gather to study and hear the word of God that will continue on the way we all need a push. In Hebrews 10, this is how it says in 35 and 36, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance or perseverance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive that promise. After, not before, not halfway, after. We have finished our race. After we have done what is a 
will of God for each one or personally, then we will receive the promise of his reward. So we need to realize as believers, as Christians, our lives are not played out in the playground. It is actually played out in the battleground. You know, you have a term, army term in English, in literature, which is called gun fodder. You will understand that only if you know what fodder means. What does fodder mean? Food. Okay. Gun fodder means soldiers who are food for bullets. Okay. Millions of soldiers have died unnecessarily. They were gun fodder. The reason was they were ill-equipped and ill-trained. They did not have proper equipment and they did not have proper training. Like World War One, World War Two, the American Civil War. When the soldiers were dying, they had to recruit everybody from the streets. Two weeks training and send them. And you don't have enough equipment, proper rifles. But they are sent into battlefield and they die in the tens and thousands. Those ones are called gun fodder. Okay? Simply because they were ill-equipped and ill-trained. One of the reasons we need to come to the house of God and keep learning and keep being trained by God. Otherwise, we too, in the spiritual battleground, will just become gun fodder. If we are not trained, and if we are not equipped with the armor, the power, and the weapons of God, we will be just casualties on the battlefield. Because we are very aware of physical casualties. We react but we are not aware of spiritual casualties. Okay? In heaven we will see spiritual casualties. That's why Paul uses analogy of Christian life to a soldier's life. You know, in Second Timothy he will say, Therefore you must end your hardship as a good soldier. One of the basic training for a soldier when you join his hardship, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second thing, no one encased in warfare entangles with the affairs of this life that he may please whom who enlisted him as a soldier. I'm not getting into it. We have looked at it before. We'll keep coming back. But basically, God is saying, everyone was enlisted into what? Into the army of God. He uses analogy from the army. That everyone who is born into the kingdom of God is being equipped and is being trained for spiritual warfare. Not to fight with one another, but for spiritual warfare. We need training, we need equipment. In 1 Corinthians 9-7, he will use again a military term. He will say, whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who plans? Okay, that's enough. Who goes to war at his own expense? He's talking about in terms about, you know, that's why we need to be absolutely sure we are being trained, we are equipped, and He sends us. See, so many people in the kingdom of God actually struggle daily with provision. But if you really know you are enlisted in His army, you don't go to war at your expense. 
the government pays for it. The government of King Jesus will pay. That's why he asks his disciples, when I sent you out without bag, without a staff, without sandals, did you lack anything? They said no. Okay, get this. Concepts right. Because if a soldier is going to worry about his provisions and his salary and all those things, he will not fight properly because his mind is divided. That's one thing, one set of people in India who never have to worry about their food are the soldiers. Rations are guaranteed by the government. They don't have to worry about anything. As long as they are in the army, they are taken care of. Only thing they have to worry about is to be focused in their training because they are prepared for one thing, for war. So what applies to the world of warfare is also true of spiritual preparation for spiritual warfare. No one is ready for battle unless we go for training. Okay? So... Today's title of today's message is Welcome to Boot Camp. For those of you who do not know what Boot Camp is, Boot Camp is where the army recruits people and send them for training. Okay? From Boot Camp to Boot Hill. For those of you who do not know what Boot Hill is, Boot Hill is the graveyard. Okay? But we will not put Boot Hill in the title. Welcome to Boot Camp. Okay? We are fighting the most powerful foe mankind has ever known with countless numbers on his side. Understand that. In the final battle in Armageddon when the 200 million army comes from the east to fight against Jerusalem even that 200 million army is nothing compared to the forces the devil has on his side. He has one third of God's angels on his side. One third. Okay, We don't have to worry about his power as long as we know we are trained, equipped and God is with us. Okay, But remember, you do never underestimate the enemy's power and his resources. And he is also a guy who will fight until the last moment. He never gives up. So you will see even after a thousand years of Jesus reign on earth and he's locked up in prison in the abyss for a thousand years, he can never change. When he is released, he still gets the whole of mankind still there to go against God. He will never give up. It's a fight till his end. Officers who join military academies, if anybody, I don't know if there's anybody who's interested in the army. When you go to military academies, we have NDA, we have one at uh, Dehradun and we have one at Wellington near Uti, these are the military academies in India. And when they go to military academy, they learn from the great ancient modern generals, their military strategies. One of the famous ones is actually from China. It's called Sun Shu, if I'm right. Yeah, Sun Shu. Sun Shu is a very famous from our east. But all all in the military academy, they will learn about Alexander's strategies, Caesar's, Napoleon, World War One generals, two generals, because wars are won not because of numbers. Wars are won because of strategy. Strategy. So the generals sitting there, some of them are brilliant. 
Today, of course, they will be doing computer animations and all. Those days, it was just a map and they are looking at it and working out strategies. Yet, you need to realize the greatest manual on warfare is the Bible. Greatest manual on warfare. And the greatest general ever known in history is God himself. And Exodus 15 and verse 3 says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Jehovah Shabbat. Shabbat means the captain of hosts, the general of the army. He is a man of war. The greatest general the world has ever, ever will see is God himself. And the greatest book on warfare strategy is the Bible itself. And the greatest enemy you and I will ever face is the devil and his forces. The devil, the fallen angels, one third of them, plus I personally believe all the demons. It's a very strange mixer of them. Those I believe were those people who were destroyed in the flood of Noah. I believe they are the demons, the devils and the demons. Okay. And in this warfare, when you study this warfare, you will see the enemy. Two main tactics. One is deception. In Genesis 3, you see deception. In Genesis 4, you see violence, intimidation and murder. Okay. Genesis 3, you see deception. Genesis 4, you see violence, intimidation and death, murder. Okay, you will see that is the weapons and you will see it is still the same. In actual military warfare, first what you see is deception. The beginning of the tide of changing of the second world war was not actual victory on the land. It was actually Hitler was completely completely deceived. He moved his whole forces to one side through deception. They sent false messages across while the entire allied army was going to land at another place. That's how military works. Okay, And God uses that. When they had to fight I, he said, you know what you will do? You will take three, five thousand, three thousand soldiers and you will go and the enemy will come out. You run out. They will all come after you. Let them come after you. Thirty thousand should be hiding and take over the city and burn it. Okay? So understand strategy, understand warfare, how warfare is fought in the Bible. So there is deception. There is violence and murder in chapter 4. Cain will kill Abel. Lamech will kill another young man. And he will intimidation. And he will boast intimidation. And you will see that. If you compromise, if he cannot, the devil cannot get us to compromise through deception, he will turn to intimidation. And violence. Against those who choose the pathway of faith, obeying God. Intimidation. That's why he's called a roaring lion. The lion through his roar is intimidating his enemies. He knows his enemies are more powerful than him. You see, see a herd of buffaloes. One buffalo, if he wants, can kill the lion. He's heavier and stronger than the lion. But he's intimidated by the lion. You see, all of you sitting over here who are children of God, God says, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall stamp on snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm you, but we are intimidated. 
intimidate. The truth and the reality. The reality is like lions, the roaring lion intimidates its prey. We are also intimidated by the enemy and he will use men, flesh and blood and systems and governments and mobs and all this to intimidate. It can be even verbal violence. Verbal violence. Intimidated through verbal violence. Okay, so be very, very careful in the way we use words. Because sometimes words can be used to intimidate people. Okay? We do not use words to intimidate people. We use words to warn, but not to intimidate. Because the devil uses words to intimidate people. So, soldier, everybody is enlisted into the army, whether you know or not. What distinguishes a soldier from a civilian? Outside is the uniform. You look at a soldier, you will immediately know by his haircut, his uniform, his walk. Right? His training. The soldier doesn't walk the way we walk. Okay? He doesn't walk. The way he walks, he's been in the boot camp for so long. Even his walk has been structured by his training. He doesn't walk like us. Okay? So his walk, his outside has been Trained by, and you know it, his uniform, his training, his haircut, everything. While his inside is bound by sense of duty. Okay, his inside is bound by sense of duty. For him, his call to duty comes over and above everything else. Even his spouse, his children, his family, his village, everything, it is duty. So outside and inside, that is how a soldier is distinguished from a civilian. In James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, scripture is talking about Elijah. He was a man of prayer. A man or a woman of prayer is a man or a woman of war. A man or a woman of prayer is a soldier. It's a man or a woman of prayer. War can have two results. Either war can bring famine and destruction. Or at the end of it, peace is restored. And at the end of war, you can also have peace and prosperity. So after Second World War, Europe was devastated. A few years later, they had peace and prosperity till today. Both was a result of war. So when a man of war prays, there will be famine and there will be prosperity. So results of wars. Okay? So a man like Elijah or a woman of prayer, real prayer like this, is a soldier. Why is Elijah so important? Because Elijah is one Old Testament prophet. See, Enoch was before the flood. Okay, we are all after the flood. Elijah is one Old Testament prophet who is not dead. Who is not? That means his ministry still continues. Ministry of Elijah does not cease. And Jesus himself said it. It does not cease. 
what was the nature, the purpose of Elijah's ministry? When John the Baptist comes, he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The purpose of Elijah's ministry is simply thing. When God comes, he will have a people prepared for him. So when Jesus came, there was a set of people who were ready to follow Jesus because John had prepared them. John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins. Immediately his disciples started following Jesus because John had prepared a people for the first coming of Christ. And the Elijah ministry will continue till the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the final prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, will say this way about Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, that's the second coming. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with their curse. So the Elijah ministry will Always be there till Jesus comes. Only difference is before his first coming and his before, right before his second coming, there will be an increase of the Elijah ministry, preparing a people for the Lord's coming. That's how you distinguish ministries. Which ministry is this? If we are a part of God's people, we have two choices. We can be part of Elijah's ministry or be to those Elijah will minister or the ministry of Elijah will cater to. So we need to enroll into Elijah's ministry. Okay, We need to enroll into Elijah's ministry and be a participant and a recipient of this ministry of Elijah because we are being prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a prophetic picture about Elijah's ministry about in the last days uh, in, in the Old Testament. I will come to that. Elijah, literally, his ministry is during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Understand that. Ahab and Jezebel. They had taken over God's land completely and corrupted it. Many men of God were hunted down Many went to hiding and one man alone stood there in public alone. That was Elijah. Under the threat of Ahab and Jezebel, many of God's servants were killed. Many. Almost 7,000 went into hiding. But one man alone stood. That is Elijah. In James 5 and verse 16, scripture says, let's leave this aside, the effective, fervent, Prayer of a righteous man avails much. Man or woman. Okay. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You have to read the scripture three ways. One, if the prayer of an unrighteous man availeth nothing. The righteous man who does not pray also availeth nothing. When the evil tide comes, that righteous man will be swept away along with the evil. There was a great uh, 17th century philosopher-politician in Britain called Edmund Burke. 
one of his famous statements. I cannot, I cannot remember verbatim, but this is something what he says. The only thing for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. The only thing for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. The only thing for the enemy to take over is because righteous men and women do nothing. They don't pray. They don't pray. God has given power and authority into the hands of the church. He says, if you bind, if you release, if you pray, if you agree, if you fast, if you seek after my kingdom and my righteousness, all these promises are given. But if good men do nothing, automatically evil will take over. Okay? So let's look at a prophetic picture which applies to us but seen during Elijah's time when Elijah was walking on earth. He's come to a poor widow's house in Samaria, a compromised place where God and God's word has been mixed with, with the world. First Kings chapter 17, verse 17 to 22. Now it happened after these things, the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. We know the story of this woman and her son Elijah coming and her, the, she giving her last bit of bread to him and the miracle happening. Okay, this happens after that. The boy becomes sick, the young man becomes sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms, carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the God, Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Okay? The poor widow here represents a picture of the last days. This is a real incident and also prophetic picture. The last day's church, the Laodicean church, unlike other churches, is a widow. Because her husband, Christ, is not with her. He's outside. If you know, in the seven letters, Jesus writes to the last church, Christ is outside. He's not inside. So the church is a widow. She's spiritually poor. She's spiritually poor. And what you see the next generation is dying. In verse 18, verse 18, she is aware suddenly that it is because of my sin, my son is dying. Okay. It's because of my son, my sin, my son is dying. This is the effect of the Elijah ministry. You're convicted. The church has to be convicted of its own sin as to why the next generation is perishing. And which is true, the next generation is perishing if you go by numbers. It's perishing. Absolutely perishing. We don't have statistics of other, but one thing about US is statistics are available, right? When you talk about a generation, another generation, 
50% above in America, homes are broken. That means the ones who suffer are the children. At least a million babies are aborted every year. From the age group of 17 to 35, 60% of the children born are born out of wedlock. The foremost Christian nation in the world. So the next generation is literally dying. That's the actual truth. That's why I always get excited by force or chance or will. You are here and it's wonderful to see the children. If you want God to work, the first thing he says in verse 19 is, give me your son. Give me, give me your son. And he took him out of her arms. We have to release our children. Into these hands of God. Unless we hand over the next generation to the ministry of God's Holy Spirit, they will remain dead. There has to be a divine impartation for Elijah, from Elijah to the dead boy. And God will hear Elijah's cry. He will not hear the mother's cry. He will hear Elijah's cry. And the boy will come back to life. One of the reasons there is no effect on the next generation in, in, in spite of the fact billions and billions of rupees or dollars or whatever you want to call is being poured into youth ministry. The young generation is dying. is because we do not receive this ministry. We don't receive this ministry. Because we have refused the ministry of Elijah. There are two stages of Elijah's ministry. Where first we have to receive life. To receive life, we have to hand over our dead children, spiritually dead children, wholly over into Elijah's hands. And then God will breathe life. You will see in this particular case, here is this woman, here is her son, and here is Elijah living in the upper room. She will surrender her child into his hands, though he is living in her house, only when he is dead. Till then, she holds on to him. Even when he is sick and he is dying, she doesn't release him. It's one of the problems with parents. They don't release their children to God. And they slowly die. Slowly die. Once he's revived, Elijah hands the child back to the mother. That's all what only ministries can do. Back to the mother. At that point, the mother should have said, like Hannah, I gave my son wholly back to God. She doesn't say. If you look at Elijah's ministry, you will see the difference. There are only two young men mentioned in Elijah's ministry. Only two young men mentioned in Elijah's ministry. The second man in 1 Kings chapter 19. 
So he departed from there, from Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on it. He's not dying. He's not dead. He is flourishing. Now you ask me a question. Let me ask you a question. Which is easier to give over to God? A dying child or an alive and prospering child? Right? Prospering. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, said, please let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I have done to you. Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen equipment, gave it to the people and they ate and he arose and followed Elijah and he became his servant. See young man. He said, did his part, he followed Jesus and he followed Elijah all the days of his life. Then Elijah departed, he continued Elijah's ministry. She should have handed over her son to Elijah. She didn't. Now, all theologians, almost all theologians believe who this young man was, her son, who was revived. Okay, In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43 on Mount Carmel, when this incredible miracle is happening, and it is over, and Elijah is back on the mountain praying, he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Who is his servant? Everybody says it is his widow's son. He also was serving Elijah. But not like Elisha served Elijah. What's the difference? Elisha saw this servant never cease. He has to be sent seven times before until the spiritual becomes visible, physical. He doesn't see the spiritual at all. Because he was never given over completely. When Elijah runs, under the threat of the Jezebel spirit, he runs. Scripture actually says in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3, when he saw that, he arose, ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. That's the last time we hear about this young man who is in all probability the widow's son. He left him there and he chooses to stay. He never will say like Elisha, as the Lord God of Israel lives and your master lives, I will not leave you. Two generations at the same time. Two generations at the same time. Remember, even when churches are restored back to life, we don't hand over the next generation to God. At some point, they will be left behind. I'm not talking about the left behind movie, but they will be left behind. But those who follow, like Elisha, will be trained as true soldiers. They will endure hardship like Elisha and Samuel. Endure hardship. And they will become mighty men of God. Because one, they were handed over completely. And second, they followed steadfastly and did not let hardship stop them. So endure hardship. Endure hardship. So when you enlist into the army, they send you to what is called boot camp. 
18 years, you enlist into the army, you enter into boot camp. And if you ever go and talk to these people who enlist into the army, such normal soldiers, I've met thousands of them, literally thousands of them. 90% or 99% of the soldiers to whom I have interacted, none of them are from the cities. They are all from unknown little villages and towns of India. You go check the U.S. Army, it is the same. Those who enlist in the army are all from the simple towns and the villages. And you look into God's army, through the Bible, he has enlisted his soldiers from very obscure, dusty villages and towns. And put them in his boot camp. Gets them ready, battle-hardened soldiers who will literally face the devil and storm the gates of hell. Because easy, laid-back life will not work. Moses was taken out of the comfort of the palace and for 40 years he was put in the boot camp called Camp Sinai or Sinai. Backside of the desert in Midian. It was a boot camp for him. Because he had to be trained to be a general. Not just a soldier. Joseph graduated from a boot camp called an Egyptian prison. Elijah would graduate from a boot camp called chariot. If you ever, ever want to be a faithful servant of God. You have to go through God's boot camp. Otherwise. You will never be a faithful servant. One of the greatest fighting units human history has ever seen is the U.S. Marines. U.S. has many parts in their armed forces, but the most dreadful one is the U.S. Marines. And their motto is Semper Fi or Semper Fi. Delis is the full term. Dele is the full term, but they say Semper Fi, which means always faithful. See, look at this in today's world even. The most powerful fighting force in the world. To get into it is almost impossible. You need to meet standards which an average or above average or even an extraordinary man will not meet. What's the motto? Always faithful. That's the first test God will teach us in the boot camp. Will you and I be faithful to his word? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, scripture says, Moreover, it is required in stewards one be found faithful. The first thing they will teach you in boot camp is, will you be faithful to the orders? And it doesn't matter where you came from in the boot camp. Elijah came from an unknown village called Tishbe. David came from a little village called Bethlehem. And Jesus came from a place called Nazareth. The towns did not matter. But one day, if you become a faithful man of God, if you become faithful, you will not be known by your town. Your town will be known by you. You will not be known by your town. Today there are many pastors, especially in Kerala, who will add the town to their name. They have not been proved faithful. 
It's a very common trend in Kerala actors, politicians, pastors also have taken it. Like if I want to say, I will use my name, James and my town. David did not become famous because of Bethlehem. Bethlehem became famous because of David. Nazareth did not become famous because of anything of Nazareth, because of Jesus. The only reason we know of a village called Tishbe is because of Elijah. That's what God does to faithful men. And the first test Elijah will have to face is, will he be faithful to the word you have received? Will you speak it as it is? As it is. Will you speak? We know. It's a very difficult word he's given. And a very difficult audience. It's easy to speak the word to a very receptive audience after 10 years of ministry. But remember the first year and all when you had to sit for one hour and you're wriggling and you're squirming and now 10 years you're used. I don't know where you're used in your mind. At least you have used in your body to sit. Because you are more scared, I'll call you by name. Difficult message. Incredibly hostile audience. You will go, stand before the king, and you will give him this word. The king is hostile. Will you be faithful? Because he is faithful, and he gives the word, he is moved to the boot camp. Okay, in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 2 to 4, scripture says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward. Hide by the brook chariot, which flows into Jordan. And it will be that you shall ring from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I'm moving into boot camp. Away. Out of, away from the cities, the towns, and from your mama's cooking. You're going to live until I tell you in this boot camp, and you will have rations twice a day, and it's just going to be bread and water. Get ready for training, Elijah. Soft, out-of-shape recruits who are used to bombs cooking are turned into first-rate soldiers who can run, who can climb, who can handle all punishment. He has to take place in that isolated place called chariot. You know, that's what Jesus promises his servants. He promises us power, power over all the power of the enemy. Promises us power over all the power of the enemy. You see that unlike us, the devil knows God's kingdom very well. He knows it's an incredible kingdom of power and authority. That's why Jesus will come and in the great commission he will say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go! Only a person who has authority will be able to tell you, go. And it doesn't say some or most. It says all authority in heaven and earth is with me. Jesus himself when he came in the flesh, scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And the reason, please understand, because the devil knows, 
because the devil knows like little hardship has already come and we are starting to squirm in boot camp there will be no fans honestly there will be no fans literally those who joined for the if you are in the US army the the soft young fellows who come by the time they finish they have run through the deserts in Texas and Arizona blazing deserts with their backpack you need to see the recruits even over here in the morning you will some jogging two months later you will see they're jogging with their backpacks and the weight increases they are being trained under incredible conditions so that when the battle comes there is no battle fatigue they are ready to fight you know because that's why god all the same thing applies in the kingdom of god god says offer your bodies first because there is no point in training the mind in a soft body it's useless the corporate sector the world is full of brilliant minds in soft bodies the army is full of brilliant minds in hardened bodies but the host hard bodies you look through the bible are god's servants they knew what it was to fast they knew what it was to shut down into their closet and never get out until they had heard from god they knew how to stand alone without numbers behind them before before the most cruel tyrants of the world and speak the word of god without fear they were incredible strong men because they were trained these things don't happen automatically we have to be trained in the things of god that's what god is talking about so jesus was given incredible power because he came under authority the devil knows how the kingdom of god works in the kingdom of god you don't receive power unless you are under authority in 1 corinthians 11 and verse 3 scripture says i want you to know that the head of every man is christ if the head of woman is man the head of christ is god christ knew who his head was christ knew who his head was that's what exactly philippians 2 means have this mind of christ jesus let nothing be done through okay this mind let each of you look out oh is it three yeah same come down in which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider robbery to be equal with god and verse 7 but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant coming in the likes of man of being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death even death of the cross that's what a soldier is why did we win the kargil war why did we win the kargil war because the soldiers were willing to die you have to actually read the kargil war report to take a piece of glacier in which no man will live or can live the soldiers just went into enemy fire and died and took the glacier to the point of death they will obey they will not they know they know this is death but they will obey the orders because they know we are under authority we have to obey orders jesus had incredible power to overpower all the power of the enemy because he was a man under authority 
under authority. Elijah was willing to go to chariot, but Jesus was willing to go to Nazareth and into the wilderness before he would come out with power. We don't realize our homes, our little, little homes is the first battleground. God knows every child. The devil knows every child. Devil knows Every child of God has the potential to be a giant killer. So what does he do? He sows rebellion. Abraham had two sons. Ishmael and Isaac. Only Isaac will qualify. The only reason Isaac will qualify is not because Isaac is better than Ishmael. It's because he is a son who will stay under the hand of his father. And will not rebel. Esau and Jacob. Jacob had ten sons. Only Joseph will overcome. Because it's one boy, the tenth one, who will come under authority. Because from God, power can be released only when we accept his authority. And authority figures are placed by God. And it's a test for us. We look at that test and we don't realize this test so that I will receive more power. We fight those tests, we don't receive power. And we need power for the battles that lie ahead. If David hadn't come under his father's authority, he would have never fought the lion. And if he had never fought the lion, he would have never fought the bear. If he had never fought the bear, he would have never received power to fight Goliath. Every stage you need more power. The days ahead are going to be incredibly difficult and dark for believers. We don't need less power. We need all the power we need can get. But power is released by God only through authority. And the promises of God are real and power also is real. So the key words in God's kingdom is submit and resist. Submit to God and resist the devil. The devil is not going to flee before any man or woman or child who has not submitted to God. Goliath will come and make an entire army of Israel tremble, tremble, and yet will fall before a boy. Fall before a boy. Understand that. That's how it works. Because our power to resist and subdue the devil comes from being under authority. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Oh, first Corinthians 11. Okay, it's okay. We know that. Okay, that's the head of man is Every man is Christ. Every man sitting over here, your head is Christ. If you are not under the headship of the word of God and the spirit of God, there is no power. You will only have conflict in your homes. There is no power released. Power is released to subdue the enemy. But the enemy subdues men because the men are not under the word and the spirit of God. 
actually how many men will like Elijah will labor to come apart and spend time at the spiritual spiritual chariot to come under subjection to the word and the spirit of God. The same thing about the woman. The head of the woman is the man. So you have Rebecca and you have Rachel. Rachel dies. Rebecca sees and hears from God. See the difference? That's why Elijah is first being trained in chariot and being sent to restore one individual. Only two men are mentioned in his life. The widow's son and Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Both representatives of the next generation. Only two. If we don't have power, what will happen? We will. Like in schools, they will teach you knowledge is power. If you don't have knowledge, what happens when exams come? You fail. Fail. If you have no power, you will. You cannot escape battles. Battle is a part of life. You cannot escape battle. We were born for battle. And we were born again for spiritual battle. But if you don't have power, we will lose. And no one who has not fought has ever had a victory. Why? Can you ever say without writing an exam, I passed? Can you ever say, I got first rank? Can you ever claim a victory without having fought a battle? The glory comes from victory. Only those who have fought have experienced. Now you know the glory of a class 10 exam for those who have prepared well. The others just want to escape with their life. A soldiers like that also. Their prayer is not Lord that my country should win today. Lord let me get my life back at the end of this battle. There are students like that also. I want to glow and glory. I want to really, really glory. I want to prove myself. Others I just want to pass. The glory comes in the victory in the battle. We are not fighting for our salvation, children. That he already did. We are fighting for his glory. For his honor. For his name. And for his rewards. At the end of the battle, Kargil battle, the last battle we fought, Kargil war over, you will see some dead, some alive, gets Paramvir Chakra, Mahavir Chakra. Sometimes a man is dead, his wife, or if the wife is in there, his mother or father comes and receives it from the president in the Rashtrapati Bhavan. Highest honor they receive. Why? For the way they fought. There are rewards. God is not saying, okay, you are saved, you are going to fight till the end. There, He says, one of his final words in the Bible, in Revelation 22, verse 12 is, Behold, I come quickly. How am I coming? 
My reward is with me. I got many chakras with me. Medals of honor and ribbons and crowns. Behold, I come quickly. One day, two day, third day I will be here. On the third day, the Son of Man will be glorified. How is the Son of Man going to be glorified on the third day when the saints who won rise up and He is glorified in them? When that soldier receives that chakra, don't we all feel good? We do, do we envy him? Maybe you will envy when your friend gets marks, but you don't envy the soldier or his widow who's receiving that we say thank you. You're proud of you. Really proud of you. Right? Jesus will be glorified in his saints. The rewards. So Elijah was being prepared in boot camp for a great battle. And a series of battles and a great victory. We all, if we hand over our lives to God, are being prepared for battles and great victories. The Elijah ministry prepares us to face evil. Ahab and Jezebel and their servants. Think about it. The widow's son had that privilege of living with Elijah. Experiencing the miraculous provision of the flower and the oil. Of being restored to life. Of seeing fire come down from heaven. Of seeing the, the, the enemies of God being destroyed in the valley of Kishon. And he saw all of this. And when he was left, he didn't. Elisha saw nothing. Elisha saw nothing. He only saw the future. By the mantle that was put on his shoulder and said, I will possess my future. I will possess my future. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Widow's son saw. Didn't believe. Elisha saw nothing. He believed. Therefore he possessed. Lord of young people sitting over here. Do you believe? If you believe, you will see. You will see and you will press on. You will press on. You won't give up. Even if we have failed a hundred times, you won't give up. Because the rewards are in. You're not pressing on for your salvation. You're pressing on for glory. Pressing on for glory. Remember the man at the pool of Bethsaida? How many years was he sitting there? This is connected with you young people. How many years? 38 years. Jesus said, do you want to get well? Pick up your mat and go. And he went. And he went straight into the temple. What day was it? What day was it? Sabbath. Your exams will be over now. And your exams will, your vacation will start. Many young people do not realize it is your vacation that actually determine your destiny. Not your work. What you do during your vacation will actually determine your destiny. What do young people do? Vacation means TV and games. They do not take time to sit apart and sit with God and say, Lord, define my future. That's the question God is going to ask the young ones. Are you Lord? Am I Lord of your Sabbath? 
I know you are, I, I always, I know all of you are Lord over your work because you call Pastor James in the morning, Pastor pray, I got exams today. And I pray and you say, thank you, Pastor. So I know you are Lord of, I am Lord of your work. I want to know whether I am Lord of your vacation. Why do many of you come back days after the vacation because all you did was sit before that idiot box? HBO, Hell's Box Office. Then you come back and you're totally disoriented because you don't realize God is not the God of your Sabbath. My rewards are in my hand. He says, behold, I come quickly. You know what his rewards are? Through the Bible he talks. Revelation 2, 7. Quickly. Revelation. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life. Cherubims were kept to God. No man had access to that tree. For 6,000 years, he said, you will have access. You fight your battles, you gain your victory, you overcome, you will have access to this tree. You can eat from the very tree of life. Next one. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer in battle. You could be taken, captured, you could be tortured, you know. Personally, I don't like him, but he was one of the war heroes, heroes of, from the, of the Vietnam War. John McCain, who is a senator who tried to become president, he lost the election. But if you know, he, he doesn't put his hand like this when he only is able to because he was five years in the Vietnam prison and they beat him up. They broke his hands and everything so he walks like this. So when people mock the way he's walking, they don't realize that's because he was tortured in a Viet Cong prison for five years. You will be captured. You are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation. Ten. He said, I'm not going to free some of you. You will, you will live there. You will die in the prison. But... Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. What is life? To know Jesus and God is eternal life. He says, you will know me in ways others will never know me in eternity. Rewards. Rewards in heaven. Next verse. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, who is victorious in battle. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Why this hidden manna? We know about open manna. When manna fell, it was not hidden. It didn't come into your pantry. It was falling in front of everybody, right? Everybody could see manna. But there was one parcel of manna that was hidden. In Hebrews chapter, yeah, Hebrews chapter 9. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. The holy of holies is the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant overlaid on sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the there was one manna nobody ever saw, nobody ever ate, nobody ever touched. It was in a golden pot inside the Holy of Holies, inside the ark itself. What God is promising you is that he says, Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. He says, you will experience parts of God which has been hidden from 
every man since creation. You will eat. Unless we are fascinated by God, these things will only make us, ah, when is this message going to be over? Right? We need to be fascinated with what is waiting in eternity. What God is promising. This is not a race with no crowns. This is not an aimless race. This is a very targeted race because at the end what he promises is unbelievable. Revelation 2.26 he says, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations. He will rule on my behalf for a thousand years. 3.5 he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Can you imagine Jesus sitting with God and Jesus saying, Dad, that's, that is Mahesh. Nobody noticed him. I noticed him. He used to listen. He didn't understand. But he tried in his little way to understand. And he grew up and he fought the battle and he died alone without anybody knowing for my namesake. That's Mahesh. Jesus telling the Father somebody's name. You know, the book of life, names are written. He says there are some whose names are etched in stone. They will never can be removed. Never. Because they've been faithful till the end. Revelation 3.12 He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar of my temple. Pillar of my temple. You know temples, buildings stand because of the pillars. Understand the spiritual significance. God is saying, this man will be a pillar in the temple of God Forever. Forever. Forever and ever. Meaning he will have an incredible position of magnificence all of eternity. Because he fought his battles. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from and I will write on him my new name. Can you imagine? What it like, you know, when pull this thing, when army soldiers, officers come for functions, what all they have, their whole chest seems to be covered with ribbons and colors and everything. And we look at them and it, every color has a significance. Everything they wear, they won it in a battle or in a training. Everything has significance. We don't understand it. The soldier who looks at it understands it. So he was in Kargil. He was in 71. He was there. He was there. He was there. He was there. They know how to read it. We don't know. On that day, everybody will know the name of God, the name of the city, the name of Jesus on his chest. See what God is offering? What God is offering? The next one. To him who overcomes, I will grant... To sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father's throne. I wonder sometimes how big is this throne? Right? Finally, the eighth promise in Revelation 21 where he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I shall be his God 
that's an incredible we don't understand what it means god says you know what you will be my child you will be my son to whom i hand over everything incentives motivations rewards isn't that how your company makes you work right are we ever motivated by what god offers in the bible remember we need victories and there are no victories in life unless we have battles to fight anyone who is not fighting may look cool in the world outwardly but the spiritual reality is you are a slave taken captive by the devil to do his will if you are not fighting if you're not if you're not still fighting a particular issue in your life and you know this is right and this is wrong and until i overcome it i am even if i lose today i'm going to get up tomorrow start fighting again if you are not fighting any battle in your life spiritual battle in your life that means actually you are a slave taken captive by the devil to do his will it doesn't matter how cool you look outside it's irrelevant you are a slave not a bond slave of god a bond slave of the devil because power of god is given to fight and to fighters martyrs are not defeated they went down in battle you know what a martyr is somebody who dies in the battlefield they were they were not conquered in the battle they died fighting even if you go down fighting evil you are still victorious on the other hand if you give in to evil and live a long easy life in the kingdom of god you will be marked out as a traitor to the king and to the kingdom king and to the kingdom that's why every trial is a battle and in the battle your and my weaknesses are shown in the training in the military boot camp they don't give you live ammunition first they give you dummy and in the battle they will show you your vulnerabilities that's what james is talking about james chapter 2 say chapter 1 says my brethren count it all joy when you face you into various battles why knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience you are being tested you are being shown you failed yeah you see you are weak in that area strengthen it up how do you strengthen it? go back to the god go back to repentance go ask for power of god stand on his grace show it up because you fell there yesterday be patient you are not trained for one week and then sent to war boot camp is a couple of years get ready get prepared let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect complete lacking nothing you are ready by the time you have gone through your trials your battles you may be going through a series of battles but don't stop fighting don't stop fighting because how you finish is what matters if you learn from your defeats you can end up in triumph end in triumph you could be blinded chained mocked like samson 
Judges 16. This is the end of a great soldier. Philippines, Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. He became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This is what happened to him. Mightiest man, physically mightiest man. Blinded, in chains, and is a grinder. Can't see, he's serving there. Then scripture says something. In the prison, in that situation, his consecration started coming back. If you fool around with God, God will bring you to a place where because of your circumstances, your consecration will come back. Because you cannot use your hands to sin anymore. You cannot use your eyes to sin anymore. Your feet will not take you where you want to go. You are right there where God wants you, so you will, your consecration will come back. Because God will not allow a soldier of his to die in shame. Once his consecration comes back, one day the Philistine says, bring him. Right? Judges. So it happened. When their hearts were merry, they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from prison. He performed for them. They stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson sent to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. He's got one final prayer. What is his final prayer? Verse 25, 26. So it, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his entire life. How did he die as a champion? He killed more people after his consecration came back in his death than he had killed in his life. That's why it's incredible when you read Hebrews chapter 11, the who of who in the Bible, you will see Samson's name mentioned there. And you will wonder, how, how can Samson's name come in Hebrews 11? Because God says, he died like a soldier. How did Samson die? We say in English, he died with his guns blazing, not like a coward like Saul who fell upon his own sword. Why did he fall upon his sword? Why didn't he take his sword and tell his sons, let us charge and die in battle? They didn't die in battle, they killed themselves. Samson did, did, did not kill himself, he died in battle. That's what God is talking about. Talking about. If you deny me, I will deny you. Many, 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 many Christians will die like cowards. Or give in under intimidation and pressure and persecution. And they will be cowards like Saul and die. One day of old age or sickness or anything. But they will not be warriors. They won't be great men. They won't be. Paul will say, 6.17. This is what he says. For now on let no one trouble me. No one? Why? In my body, you ask any soldier who has come back from the battlefield and he carries the scars of bullet wounds on his face. He will not say, I took it for myself. He says, I bear the 
marks of Christ on my body. It's not my marks. It's his marks. I bear. When they f- finally if they mock him, he would have taken his robe home and shown his back and said, look, the marks I have on my body are the marks of Christ. I did it for my Lord. I did it for my master. And I suffered for my master. I am a soldier. Don't live like a coward. Don't die like a coward. Live like a soldier. Die like a soldier. As I close, we will, I will read for you a manual in US when you join boot camp, whether you're in the army, navy, or air force. This is the sergeant who will take all the young people. First thing they will do, send you to the, no, boot camp barber. First thing is barber, all your mushroom and everything, Samsonite hairstyle, everything will go. Everybody will have one hairstyle. And then, look at the person on your right, on your left. In the next eight weeks, you are going to learn how to respect and trust that person. You will have to work together and help each other survive. You are going to become a close team. While you are here, you will get your heads shaved, you will be given uniforms, you will send whatever you brought with you back home because you will not need it. I will be your mom, your dad, your closest friend. I will teach you how to walk, talk, stand, eat, rest, sleep, study, make your bed, exercise, and how to be a true soldier, sailor, marine. You can take what you learn here and use it for the rest of your life. Or you can forget it when you walk out of the gate. But as long as you are here, you will do things my way. You have made an important decision to serve your commander-in-chief and your country. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Treat it as such. It's exactly what they say. That's how the church began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They gathered daily for the apostles' instructions and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They were trained in boot camp. They were trained in boot camp. And one day the battle began. It records in the Bible. The last two verses for today. Acts 8.1 Acts 8.1 Saul was consenting to his death and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Church was scattered. Battle began. They have been trained now for two years. Three years, whatever, persecution has risen, they are scattered. But they have been trained. So how did they go? Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They knew what they were called for. Therefore, the world was won by this set of simple people. In 300 years time, the entire Roman Empire Bowed to Christ because he had trained soldiers who knew what it was to pray, what it was to fast, what it was to study the word and obey their Lord. Men, welcome to boot camp. Shall we pray? Father, this evening, Lord, we just come to you, Lord. In your army, Father, there is no young, no old, no male, no female, no free man, no slave, nobody. 
everyone has enlisted into the army lord when they were born again by the spirit they were born again into the army of the living god we know one commander his name is jehoashabot and like david or oh master i pray every one of these young people will be able to look at the devil in the eye one day and say you come against me with the spear the sword the javelin but i come against you in the name of jehoashabot pray they will receive the training from you they will receive the word from you they will continue fighting this good fight oh lord every area they are fighting lord whether it is with lust whether it is with finances whether it is with relationships whatever it of father i pray they will not give in but they will overcome until the life and the victory of christ jesus is manifested in each area father and they will continue marching on for your name for your honor for your glory one day we can stand in your presence when you give your rewards out to those who are victorious father we will have the joy of taking our crowns off and putting it at your feet and say lord it was you it was your power it was your authority it was your strength it was your word it was your spirit therefore it is your glory and it is your honor we lay our rewards our crowns our medals our ribbons everything at your feet oh lord thank you thank you father thank you lord thank you as we go through this fourth month i pray father you will continue speaking to us continue teaching us continue breaking down every area of rebellion within us that parts of us that still fights your word that still fights your spirit oh lord until we are trained to obey the voice of the living god that we will stand before kings or beggars and give them the same word without altering it knowing that it is backed up with the power and the authority of heaven itself oh lord thank you thank you thank you father bless your people keep your people protect your people preserve your people until the hour of your coming lord thank you father in jesus name we pray amen amen amen